I got pulled into the dean's office and they presented me with the printout of my internet history report. It was rather extensive. I had only been there for a few weeks. And the dean of women, she said, this is sick. This is disgusting. This is some very graphic stuff. Welcome to the P Word podcast brought to you by Naked Truth Project. We aim to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of porn. And this podcast is going to equip you to talk about and to tackle pornography in your church and in your community. Hello and welcome to another episode of the P Word podcast. My name's Ian Henderson. I'm the founder of the Naked Truth Project and this is... Hi, I'm Kat Etherington. I'm the Recovery Director with Naked Truth. And in our podcast this time round, we're going to be talking about how do churches support users of pornography? And why is that such a difficult thing in and of itself? And I think one of the reasons it's difficult because we don't talk about it very much. That's right. I mean, a lot of people that we talk to will tell you that they've never, ever heard anybody use the word, word porn in church or, um, or sometimes even sex in any iteration. And so part of what we want to do in this episode is talk about how you can talk about it so that that releases users to begin to maybe confess and share and open up and perhaps then begin to find some ways to finding hope and help. Yeah. And we're going to sort of start off by thinking about some of those barriers. So we've got the shame that people have. They don't they don't want to tell someone because they don't know what kind of response they're going to get. They're afraid to put it out there in case they get rejected or cast out, I guess, is the story that they would tell themselves. So that's one of the main reasons, right? Yeah. And let's, I mean, let's be honest, none of us like to confess any of our weaknesses and mistakes and faults and flaws. And it's not like we're going around sharing it or anything very easily. But it feels like porn is one of those kind of things that feels like it has to stay in secret, it has to stay in the shadows more than some of the other messes and mishaps that we have. Right, absolutely. And I think that a lot of that is fear-based, that there's a, a an assumption that there'll be judgment in a mm. way that is different to some of the other things that people might want to feel like they want to confess in a church setting. Do you think, Kat, one of the reasons why that fear builds up, why some of that shame is felt so strongly is the silence is it is it kind of assumed because we don't talk about it in church that therefore there must be something really wrong with this you know like gossip will get mentioned in a sermon or right. kind of greediness or whatever you know some of the other sins the other deadly sins deadly are sins. get you know get referenced and so maybe although confession's not easy generally there are easier things to confess if we're going to start confessing yeah. but this doesn't get talked about so that's must mean it's really bad 
Yeah, well, we often talk about that in our groups, about how there's as much of a message in silence as there is in in talking about something. And so, you know, if something is so taboo that nobody ever goes near it, I guess it's a, a logical assumption that, well, you know, that must be really shameful or bad or private. I mean, that would be enough even, wouldn't it? That if my sexuality is just a thing that is mine and private and I never tell anybody about it, that would be enough to keep some people quiet if they had a sexual struggle of some kind. And have you seen, um, as you've worked with people and worked with users of porn, have you seen that keeping things silent, not talking about it, has increased the problem? You know, there's been escalation or or whatever because it's happened in the shadows and in the silence. Yeah. I once heard somebody say, nothing good grows in the dark. Um, And I think that's a a good recovery kind of a principle that, um, you know, shame is an emotion that wants to keep us hidden. It wants us to be not seen. It wants to to kind of keep us small. And um, and that's really effective. Um, And I guess, you know, we know that the addiction cycle and the shame cycle run side by side, that the more I kind of act out in my addiction, the more pornography I look at, the more shame I feel, the more I feel like I want to hide and pretend to be somebody else and we talked about that a little bit in the previous podcast that a lot of people on a Sunday morning they want to put on their church face and they want to be seen to be good Christians and and so if they're not living up to that then they can want to hide even more and the more they hide the more shame they feel the more they they need to medicate that feeling and so the the two things really go hand in hand yeah these these episodes of the podcast uh, will have Kat and I chatting away about what we think, but also we're going to use different extracts from different talks that have been given at our P Word conference. So Naked Truth has an event called P Word that is really there to equip churches to talk about and tackle the issue of porn. And we will have experts, we'll have specialists, but also we'll have people who share their story. And uh, one of our excerpts today in this episode is from someone who's sharing his story, but also just talking about how much of an impact confession has had for him as a user, what a difference it made when he finally felt able to talk about that. And that's um, the poet Joshua Luke Smith. Yeah, and uh, what you won't hear him say is um, at the beginning of his talk, he talks about his early exposure to pornography and how he first discovered porn when he was 11 years old. Um, And he talks at great length about kind of the impact that that had on him as a young man and on his sexuality. But he goes on to talk about the importance of confession. And I guess it's a kind of a call to action for people who might be sitting in that place of feeling like they want to tell someone and not quite knowing how. And so this first part that I want to give you as a poet and as a storyteller and as a songwriter is confess, confess, confess. You know, confession isn't just about saying what you've done wrong. You know, confession is about saying what you desire. In, in I think it's Luke 18, Jesus is on the road and he comes upon a blind man who cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. 
And everyone's saying, yo, shut up. Jesus is busy. But a blind man calls out even more, have mercy on me. So then Jesus says, bring that man to me. And it says the blind man gets up and he throws off his cloak. Because in the first century, the blind man would wear cloaks with paint marked on it that would identify them as being blind. So in a busy market street, they wouldn't get knocked into. It's as if the blind man knows that where he's going, he won't need that coat anymore. And he goes up to Jesus and Jesus says, what can I do for you? It seems so obvious the man's blind. He says, what can I do for you? And the blind man says, I want to see. It's as if God wants to hear us announce our desires, confess it, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. This is what I feel. This is what I need. This is what I desire. This is what I have done. Turn that tap on. This is what I'm going through. Let the waters run. Have mercy upon me. And I just thought, I just want to encourage you if, if this is where you are, that it's never too late. It's never too late to confess something. This could be something you confess from 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. David goes on in the Psalm to say, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Does anybody just feel like they want to pray that, say that about themselves? Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I wonder whether confession, because it's got a quite a religious overtone to it, even as a word. Right. You know, some people might struggle with it, you know, or maybe if you see it as a bit of a Catholic thing, perhaps, and if therefore you're not a Catholic, you're like, oh, confession, what do I think about that? But of course, this is deeply biblical, this idea of uh, having vulnerability, honesty, with true honesty with ourselves, with God and with others. What do you think, Kat? Yeah, and I, I kind of really love the way that Joshua has expanded the definition of confession from just tell someone how bad you are, tell someone how you've messed up, tell someone all the mistakes that you've made and all the sins that you've committed. And in fact, what Joshua is saying is tell someone who you are, tell someone your needs and your feelings and your desires and your mistakes and your successes. And and I think that is a much healthier and more intimate experience of confession. That it's not me and you sat down so I can tell you all all my stuff, but it's me and you sitting down getting to know one another. And I suppose that's kind of what we're doing in accountability relationships, which is often one of the things that we will suggest to people when they're trying to overcome a pornography problem is find a friend, find someone you can confess to, find someone who can uh, hold your story and walk with you in that. So I, I love how, how he's broadened that out. Yeah. And you might be listening and you're listening as a user yourself and you're thinking, if only, if only I could find a friend, someone I could open up to in that kind of vulnerable way. But maybe you're sitting here and you are perhaps a church leader and, and we're very much trying to gear in lots of ways this content to people in churches who are saying, how, how can we talk about this? How can we help people with this? And so maybe the question you're asking is, well, how do I become somebody who's approachable <laughs> for this kind of conversation? How do, how do I enable others to feel able to talk uh, so honestly. Um, And we we will get to that without question. 
One of the interesting things, though, thinking about what you just said there about Josh saying, you know, confession isn't just telling everybody or anybody, uh, you know, what you've done wrong. Uh, it, it's so much more. I also think there's a really interesting thing around confession of not just confessing. Well, as you said, it's confessing who you are. And so sometimes that can mean talking to people before you've done something wrong. You often we think about accountability as, you know, you fess up after you mess up. But, you know, what if you're talking to people when you, you're tempted or triggered, which would be the kind of therapeutic language, I guess. But, you know, in those moments when you know you're struggling and you're battling or something's gone wrong in your day and in the past that meant your night was going to look a certain way, that actually that's when you confess. Your confession is, I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling like I'm struggling. And I know myself enough to know that in the past this has led me down a, a pathway of porn. But I don't want to even get there. I don't want to get that far. And so my confession comes now. It comes in my time of weakness and vulnerability and it's a cry for a bit of help and a bit of support. And again, that's another thing that if you're a user, kind of thinking, okay, that, how, do, how, do I, how do I do that? But again, if you're someone who's trying to walk with someone, to permission that, to say, look, you don't just have to talk to me when it's gone wrong. You know, send me a text, talk to me when you are feeling weak. That's confession too. And I think that's a really healthy yeah. way of thinking about it. I think that's the ideal way that an accountability relationship would work. And I think the church is fairly familiar with this idea of accountability, but you're absolutely right. What we want to be doing is sort of pulling back the point of confession to before I do something I don't want to do. That's, to me, that's what integrity is. You know, it's it's standing at the crossroads, knowing I can go one of two ways and, and doing something that helps me go in the direction of Jesus, right? And so I think that's the ideal outcome. Yeah. And I wonder whether if, if someone ever has confessed to you, particularly if you are a leader in a church in some capacity, and when we say church leaders throughout this podcast, by the way, we're not just talking about, you know, the priest or the vicar or the senior pastor or whatever. There's all sorts of type of leadership in churches. Maybe you run a small group, maybe you're a youth pastor, youth leader, volunteer in the youth ministry. And, and these are all different positions and responsibilities of leadership. And, and we mean them all. But if you are a, a church leader who's been and confessed, I wonder, I wonder, and I, I would hazard a guess if anyone has, it's probably a young man like Josh, you know, he, you know, in his 20s or whatever, I'm not quite sure how old he is. Probably thank me for saying that he was in his 20s. Um, but uh, they're, they're, I guess, the typical group that we imagine are wrestling, struggling with with coming forward and sharing something like this. Um, but it isn't just them, is it? It's not. And I think, you know, there are lots of fallacies around the kinds of people who use porn. And, and you know, maybe that impacts the, the type of people who will come and confess, right? Because I guess as a young man you probably feel that it's more acceptable for you to be honest about that than other people might do. Um, and so we're going to hear from Jessica Harris, who is a female porn user in recovery. And she's going to tell us a little bit of her story. And I, I think it's going to show some of the real barriers for women coming forward, for young women coming forward, and what makes that difficult. 
So Jessica's story picks up right after she's been called in to see the dean of women at the at the Bible college that she attends, who has found some stuff under Jessica's login on the computer. I got pulled into the dean's office and they presented me with the printout of my internet history report. It was rather extensive. I had only been there for a few weeks. And the dean of women, she said, this is sick. This is disgusting. This is some very graphic stuff. And what had happened was the, the filtering software for the school had picked up on different websites and had printed off the web address on this paper. And then somebody had had to go through and highlight the ones that were definitely pornographic, that there was no explaining, well, that's a cooking website. There was no, there was no way out of the ones that they had highlighted. And we're talking pages upon pages upon pages of, of the web addresses. And she said, that being said, we know this wasn't you because women just don't have this problem. And I was completely devastated because this is where I was hoping to find help. I was hoping to find freedom. And I am being told that there is something intrinsically wrong with me. I walked back to my dorm room. They made me sign a contract saying that I would never share my password again because they were absolutely convinced without asking me that I had shared my password with several because of the amount of pornography involved. I had shared it with several male classmates in order to protect them. And shame on me for being such a bad sister in Christ. They needed help. And I was keeping them from getting that help by not making them accountable for their actions, by protecting them, essentially. And I was absolutely devastated because I thought the entire time, no, I'm the one. <laughs> who needs the help. And I know this is bad. Like, believe me, I've been trying to get it under control. But in that moment, I just felt so alone and so devastated. And I went back to my dorm room and I gave up. I, I said, well, if I can't be the good Christian girl who used to be addicted to pornography, like if there's no way out of this, then I don't have a choice. I have to be the porn star who used to be a Christian. And so I was 17 years old, raised in a Christian home, raised in the church, and convinced that my worth and my value was that of a porn star. Like that was that was the best I could do. If I was done saving face, if I was done playing the games, then I didn't have a choice. This was this was my path in life. Wow. That's um so interesting, isn't it? Right. Yeah. What a shame. I, I hear that story and it makes my heart feel sad that, you know, what, what I hear Jessica saying there is that was a moment. That was a moment mm. where if somebody had just asked, if they had not assumed that it couldn't be a woman, if they'd not given her just that little bit of an out, oh, well, you know, just make sure you don't give your password to someone else. That could have been a life-changing moment for her. But um, I guess an assumption was made that she's a woman. Women don't do that. Yeah, and certainly with our work, we run groups for men and women. We have team who are women who have been users and have struggled with poor yeah. news themselves. So I want to, before we say much more about Jessica's talk, play a different 
story. And this was from one of our other speakers who is a church leader. And her name is Karen Cook. Let's hear her story. So I wrote the book and just one story that stands out to me in the book is a story of a woman who um, at this point, she was 27. She came into our church and she was amazing. She was so, she's a powerful woman. She was part of our youth team as she loved Jesus. But there was one moment in one of our women's groups where we were dangerously honest. And in our church, we are dangerously honest. If there's sin, we have you can have permission to speak about it and get it out there. And she shared this one day with one of our female leaders that she had had a porn addiction since the age of 12. She had found pornography in her house through her father's magazines. She'd got connected into it. She then spent her teenage and most of her 20s in um, church as a youth leader, a kids pastor, a worship leader, and had not told anyone she had kept it a secret and she said that secret was going to go to my grave with me but we as a church had created this culture where you could talk where you could find a non-judgmental environment a no condemnation environment and you know what this moment for her was so amazing that she was brave enough and honest enough to say I have an issue with porn. She wouldn't be able to sleep at night. She would get to about 3 a.m. and she'd be watching porn because she didn't know how to stop. And honestly, it was through the power of Jesus, the power of prayer and some great pastoral support going through with her. And so I guess we've got two really different stories right. there from two different kind of Christian institutions. The, the Bible College that yeah. had one way of approaching it, Karen's church, who seemed to be very intentionally trying to create spaces to make it possible to talk about this. That's right. And what a difference yeah. it makes to to choose to intentionally create a space. I just wonder, you can't help but wonder what might Jessica's story have looked like if there was just a question instead of an assumption. What's this? Would you like to talk about this? You know, any kind of invitation to explore, to be vulnerable. She said in her talk that she was hoping for that. And I think there's a real sense with some of some of our uh, users who have gotten deep, you know, they're, they're in over their head. They know they need help. And, you know, maybe if there was a moment, they would they would reach for it, but then maybe just not brave enough to create it for themselves. And so, yes, what a real missed opportunity versus this amazing kind of community of honesty that Karen described. Yeah, I mean, she uses this phrase and Karen's written a book as well with this title called Dangerous Honesty. And she uses that phrase. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that, the kind of honesty that is required yeah. of people, particularly maybe women who the, the levels of shame maybe feel more intense. Yeah. Uh, maybe there is this sense of, is there something wrong with me? Am I not a proper woman because I'm looking at porn? You know, right. again, the guys, it's difficult, but they're probably not asking that question. Yeah. Or it's, it feels dangerous. It feels dangerous to talk about this. It feels dangerous to be this honest. And so how, how can we make it feel easier? 
Yeah, well, the women that we know that talk that do talk about this, they when they hear that, you know, our our very own Bethany McDonald on team, when she shares her story, she talks about the only time she ever heard anybody talk about porn from the pulpit was accompanied by the message, this is not for you girls, you can switch off. And so both she and Jessica Harris talk about those kind of moments being confirmation, like they already feel like they're the only woman in the world. And when somebody says you're the only woman in the world because this doesn't apply to other women. It just confirms that for them. So I think it's a real challenge culturally in any uh, community, in any kind of group of people to create that level of honesty. But I feel like if it, if it should be possible anywhere, it should be the church, right? Yeah. And so it leads us to ask the question, how do you do it then? How do you create these environments that are dangerously honest? How do, how do we model something that releases people to, to confession and, and then hopefully healing and help? One of the things I remember Bethany, who you've just mentioned, uh, saying, and again, Bethany was one of the speakers at the conference. If you want to go and listen to her talk, you can. But she talks about how the lady in her church who eventually she did speak to. The reason she chose that lady, I mean, she was at a crisis point. It felt like it was just almost too much to bear, but there'd been a long, a long, long time of her just feeling like there's something wrong with me and no one's going to understand it. And she, even when she spoke to the lady, she said, you're probably never going to want me to babysit your kids ever again. You're never going to look me in the eye. You're never going to invite me over for Sunday lunch anymore. You know, she just assumed she was just so dirty, so disgusting that that she would be disowned. That's how much the shame had formed her self-image and her self-opinion. But she said the reason she chose the lady she did was because she had seen that woman champion her in other areas of her life. And that she's like, this woman's always been for me. She'd always kind of cheered me on in different things. So I kind of felt, well, if anyone is going to accept me, potentially it's this person. Although at the same time, interestingly, sometimes they're the people you least want to be vulnerable with are the ones who you think already that you already you believe you're the one of the few people who believes in me I don't want to kind of smash that but actually that's distorted thinking because the people who do believe in you are going to be the people who will understand and uh, that's what Bethany experienced in fact her story is the woman started crying and said do you know what me too yeah and that was she Bethany couldn't believe it couldn't believe that this woman who she loved and respected so much was going or had done in the past been through so much and so I think as leaders in particular as we're thinking how do we create these environments interestingly I think part of it is by sometimes I think it's appropriate to say you know what let's assume that most you know most people in this church have struggled with the temptation of porn let's go further let's assume that lots of people in this this church still struggle with porn and that's something you can always come and talk about you know to be that open and and uh, from from a stage for example will do so much but also i think the other side of it will be to say as we champion people in different areas of our life we become the type of people that that are approachable for these really difficult conversations. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Well, and I, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking that part of my experience, as even as a person in recovery, has been that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so, you know, somebody's got to go first. And I think as leaders, that's part of our responsibility. You know, as leaders in, in any environment, we we create culture. 
And so, and, 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 you know, I'm not saying that all leaders have to confess everything, but I do think we set the tone in terms of what's an acceptable level of confession. And we see this, I see this in our groups all the time. Like it just takes one man to cry and then it's like permission. And then we'll have one group where five people are crying just because one person was either brave enough or, or couldn't contain it enough to, to just kind of set that culture for the, t- for the session. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I think we'll probably pick this up a little later as well in terms of how much to say and what to say yeah. to people. And I think there is a, there is definitely a bit of a dynamic here that we talk about a bit in the office of, you know, how if you're in a position of leadership, you know, how much vulnerability is a good thing. If you're a youth worker, is it okay to tell all your young people, hey, I've really struggled <laughs> with porn? Sometimes it can be releasing. Sometimes it's actually really unhelpful because... It's a bit more nuanced, but and and there's some conversation to be had. And um, but what's definitely true is you can model vulnerability without necessarily being specific about the the, the struggles. Even right. you know to be able to say you know I've battled with these things, and again you don't have to say even what they are. But it's left me feeling like I'm not a proper Christian. It's made me question my faith, or it's made me question myself. And and to talk about. And there's vulnerability in that, as in, particularly as a leader, to say, look, we're not, we're not perfect. We're not getting it. We don't feel sorted all the time. We're not walking in faith every day. Those things may seem obvious to some of you as leaders that, of course, I feel like that. But actually, for your people, it's not always obvious. They assume you are sorted, uh, that you are stronger, that you are better. And even just opening a crack into the fact that, you know, I've had to just go and talk to people about my worst times. And as I've done that, that I've found hope and healing. You see, you can generalize it a bit more is Absolutely. all I'm saying without having to go into, I mean, for some people, you may feel it's appropriate if, if you've struggled with something. And, and particularly if it's further in the past, you might feel, okay, I could talk about a battle with an addiction of some kind. Um, and that's part of my story and people know it and that's fine. But what we're not saying is everyone has to stand up and share their own personal stuff no. to everybody. And you're talking about psychological safety. You know, yes. people only only tell you stuff about themselves if they feel like they're not going to be judged, they're not going to be um, cast out. And so that's that's what we're talking about, isn't it? That yes. there's a culture that says your stuff is safe here, um, and to some extent, we we're going to get it because we're not perfect either. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great. So let's imagine. We've done something that's helped create an environment or, or pe- at least you have become approachable enough that someone has dared to say, this is me, this is my issue, this is what I'm struggling with and I feel like this and I've tried to stop and I haven't been able to and I don't even know that I'm a proper Christian or a proper woman or whatever, those kind of things. What now? Yeah, scary stuff, isn't it? When someone comes to tell you something that feels big. Um, You know, as you said that, I was kind of imagining that scenario in my head and thinking there are more ways to communicate judgment and shame than words. Mm. So, you know, you might need to keep control of your face muscles, you know. You're not going to do the wide eyes like, you did what? Or, um, you know, you might need to to take control of your body language because it is uncomfortable stuff. And part of the reason we don't want to talk about it is because we don't like it, right? Mm. And so I think 
the first thing that that we want to we want to have somebody do in that scenario is say thank you thank you for sharing that with me and acknowledging the risk and the vulnerability and the bravery that that takes and that's part of what it is to create psychological safety your mess is welcome here and i'm grateful that you want to share it with me Mm, that's so good i also think it's okay to acknowledge that you don't necessarily get it and you might even as a listener you might be at a different age where you've never really even seen yourself you know porn online and so you don't even know what it's like um maybe it was all magazines and dvds or vhs's or you know it was the cinemas in soho or whatever and that's what porn is to you and so i think again one one thing i think is worth saying is you don't need to ask people for details you don't need people don't need to be specific but i think it's okay that you don't you don't necessarily need to you don't need to be an expert I right think is the point this might be something you've not experienced it doesn't mean you can't help Right. And and I don't think you need to be an expert to help just kind of on a human to human level. You know, I, I do think there's space for the church to uh, to just be with people in their mess. And at the same time, it's I think it's really, really OK for church leaders and people in pastoral positions to say, gosh, that's a little bit out of my pay grade. You know, I, I, I don't I don't know about that. I don't have the 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 right skills or the right knowledge to help you with that and and pass them along to an organization like Naked Truth Recovery to to do some of the more specialized work and to do that in such a way where the person knows that that's an act of love and care and not just kind of oh gosh that's a bit icky let's pass you on to somebody else yeah and also I'd say just because you don't know um, doesn't mean you don't have to try and explore and learn a little more because this is a shifting landscape and hopefully you've you've become aware of that you're likely to be listening to this podcast because you've become aware of that but again in the conference we had various talks that were just kind of setting out the landscape helping you understand you know where things are now and it has changed in such a dramatic way in such a short amount of time that just you having some understanding of that is going to make it easy for you not to look so shocked um, (laughs) if someone does talk to you so I mean it is worth just doing a little bit of that but we also understand that 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 doesn't mean you then become an expert you don't have to understand how to do 10 sessions of counseling for someone who's struggling with porn what you can do is signpost you can do everything you can um, that's possible to reduce shame for that that individual you can make sure they know that they're accepted that they're loved that they're seen that's that's all really really important and what we say is another really key thing to do yeah, I think um, just just I just want to say this. Just as you were talking there, I was just imagining how shame reducing would it be to go to someone and say the hardest thing that you have to say, and to be met with a thank you, an acknowledgement of how brave you are, and then just enough knowledge for for you to hear you're not alone. There's like real organizations doing work with this and this is a really common issue all of a sudden that messaging is so different from what jessica described like you're the to hear that this happens to other people too and yeah i was just imagining that as you were talking in terms of what else there is to do i think that um 
once you've kind of signposted and you've handed people off to organisations to do that kind of more specialised work, I think it's about staying connected with them. You know, I guess one of the problems is that we, you know, that there's a risk that we feel like we've done our bit once we've sort of got somebody into an organisation like Naked Truth and they can sometimes feel kind of forgotten or left behind or like there's an assumption that oh, it's all better now. And actually our experience is that for some people, recovery is is a long, long term experience. It's, you know, it's not just that we, we put down the porn, we stop looking at porn, it's that um, we then have to work out all that stuff we talked about in terms of coping strategies, but also kind of unpacking all those narratives that we've internalised about sex and sexuality and males and females roles and all of that stuff and that takes time and so we don't want to run the risk of people feeling like we think they're done because they will want to live up to that expectation Mm. and i i wonder as well whether therefore if someone has the courage to come and speak to you and you thank them you've told them that there's some places they can go to get some more help that you you don't think it's who they are, it's stuff they do, but it's not who they are and that you, you've got, you know, you believe in them and, and that you pray with them that, that God will meet them and forgive them and all, all that stuff. I think even just a really simple thing of let's get in the diary when you're going to see me again yeah. because even that bit of saying, well, there, here's a website to go and look at and here's some people who can help you doesn't necessarily mean they will. And it's really difficult and really scary. And uh, or they'll go, oh, I looked at it and it didn't feel it was quite the right thing for me. Okay, that's fine as well. So the fact that they're going to meet you again means that you will say, okay, so it wasn't that thing. Let's find something else. else. Um, So I think just you keeping them sort of in a place where they're going to stay motivated to find an answer. Because I think what you get is a little bit of a vulnerability hangover of I've really opened up now and now I feel really oh, insecure about the fact I said that and so actually sometimes people shrink back right. rather than lean in uh, after being really vulnerable and so you part of what you can do is help them keep it going in this direction because perfection isn't possible but moving in the right direction is and so you can you can help them continue in this direction of trying to do something about this, being intentional, being accountable, all that kind of stuff. So a simple thing as, well, let's let's have another meeting in, you know, however many weeks and let's just see whether you got on on with looking into some of these these kind of solutions or we've prayed about this together uh so let's let's just see how you're doing. Right. Um and we'll just do a pastoral check in. I think that's a really important thing, uh, uh, rather than a few. I've finished that conversation. Hopefully I won't have to talk about that anymore. And you can see how that would be tempting, can't you? It's like, oh, this is uncomfortable. And, you know, there there would be a sense of relief that comes with that. The other thing I think it's worth mentioning, and like you said, we'll unpack this more, is, is to think beyond the immediate person in your office. You know, if that is a... Uh, a married person, if that is a parent, there are other people who uh, may well be impacted by whatever is being shared with you. And um, and that's going to need some careful, thoughtful consideration in terms of who needs to know, what are, what are the implications of what you're being told? Yeah, I mean, that's a There's something there we said we might talk about in this episode. It may come up in more detail in another episode. But let me ask you quickly, Mm. Kat, I mean, I've often had people come and share their struggles and normally they are in a relationship. Yeah. 
And one of the early questions after a confession is, do you think I should tell my? Yeah. Uh, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever. And that's a complicated question, yeah. isn't it? And, and it's maybe not necessarily a simple answer. It's not. I mean, it is and it isn't in the in the sense that my my view on that is that the answer is always yes. You know, if if anything that you're doing has a direct impact on another person, we should allow that other person the right to make their own choices about whether they want to be involved with that. I think what's more complicated is the how, the when, the what, the why, and the who um, mm. of that. And for sure, depending on how much there is to disclose, depending on the type of thing that there is to disclose, how that is done can have a significant impact on what happens next for both people. Absolutely. Yeah. So that maybe leads us into an extract from our kind of final speaker for this episode. Um, this is a guy called Drew Boer. Mm. He has um, a ministry called Husband Material. The whole thing is actually perhaps aimed at younger men and women. And the, the premise, I think, is that if people can get free from porn before marriage, then they become good husband or wife material, then actually you can save your marriage before it even starts. Yeah. You know, if you can tackle this, talk about this early on, um, which is really interesting. And there's a lot of really interesting things that he brings in his talk. But we're just going to hear him talk a little bit about the idea of sexual abandonment. I recently looked back over a lot of the work that I've done with some of my clients who are Christian men who are seeking freedom from pornography. And I have them ask, uh, I have them answer some questions. Um, how were you abandoned? How were you enmeshed? And how were you abused? Just mm. different, different areas to consider uh, abandoned in relationships that didn't feel close enough enmeshed in relationships that were too close or abused and just directly harmed. And of course, abandonment and enmeshment are, are abusive and, and harmful and traumatic. And something I found was that every single one of them said that they were abandoned sexually. I was asking these questions, how were you abandoned emotionally, physically, spiritually? sexually. Every single person said sexually abandoned because it wasn't talked about, didn't feel safe. Mm. There, there was no healthy modeling. It was a huge deprivation of discipleship. Mm. And the only place where they got the, the engagement and the education and the, the sexual formation that we all need was important rather than with healthy, mature, trusted sources and guides um, rather than hearing voices like the ones that are being featured here on the naked truth project. So mm. as we, as we go forth, let's keep in mind that, that so many men and women and, and young boys and girls are experiencing that abandonment in our sexuality. I guess what I take from what Drew says there is people are going to hear stuff about sex, identity, relationships, intimacy, connection. They're going to hear stuff. And 
the reality is we as as the church, as friends, as trusted people in people's lives, as mentors, as disciples, whatever, however you see yourself, you need to be a voice. And actually you need to be a voice that, that can be counter to some of those other voices that people are hearing because the reality mm-hmm. is through Netflix, through Pornhub, through all the different places, there, there already is a voice. Is our silence doesn't mean they're not hearing something. No, it, that's um, right. And I guess that's an important place to end. Yeah, and you know, we talked a little bit before about how silence doesn't equal no message. You know, the message in the silence might be the church has nothing to say about sex, and so when no, when when the place you would normally go to to find out who you are and who you are in relation to specific topics has nothing to say, then it makes sense that we're going to turn to other sources for that information. And you feel abandoned, and you which feel was abandoned. the phrase yeah. that uh, Drew uses. Something I want to mention just as we close then, uh, we've already said that you can listen to all the talks from the P Word Conference at the pwordconference.com. But Naked Truth also has something called a church membership program. And the church membership program is uh, a lot of resources uh, to enable churches to be able to engage in supporting, helping, walking alongside people. So for example, we've got some resources that you could use to actually journey with someone who is struggling with porn. We also have just consultancy. So if you become a church member, you can book in a a Zoom call with someone like Kat and say, this has just happened. This person's come to see me and I need to now know what to do next. Uh, So we want you as a church to feel equipped, to feel enabled, uh, to feel empowered. And so we'd really encourage you to take a look at our church membership program as well. You can find out details uh, on the Naked Truth website, Naked Truth Project. But that's probably all we've got time for in this episode. And do keep listening. This is the P Word podcast brought to you by Naked Truth Project. If you'd like to learn more about our work, please visit nakedtruthproject.com.